The title of this talk is Rational Radicalism. When I posted it on uh, social media, someone commented that it was an oxymoron. And of course, the title's intended in part to provoke that kind of reaction. The word uh, radical conjured up the image of riotous mobs, insurrectionists, terrorists, people with their hands up in fists, demanding big change now, maybe with little thought to what's possible. They want to tear things down. The radical is kin to the iconoclast. They're in a mob protesting somewhere, tearing something down. Or maybe they're in a university or infiltrating our elementary schools, corrupting the youth, these radicals. On a more personal level, they're irascible. They make everything political or ideological. You can't just have a pleasant conversation with them. They take everything so seriously. They're too judgmental. Maybe they've broken off a relationship with a friend or a family member over differences of opinion about politics or about some culture wars issue. Maybe they have it, but they've just made dinner a little bit uncomfortable because you can tell they're judging. Maybe they're part of the radical left, the radical right, radical Islam. Somewhere or something radicalized them, and now they're coming for a way of life. They aim to destroy. What they want is bad. Or maybe it's good in theory, but the way they want it is unrealistic, impractical, out of keeping with human nature, immature. They stamp their feet with churlish demand and the world to an old door song. They want the world and they want it now. How unreasonable. How irrational. Surely the sensible force is to be moderate, not to go to extremes. But this, I say, is the council of cowardice. And worse, it's the council of amorality. It amounts to indifference to all standard and all virtue, other than snibbling and often resentful acquiescence to whatever seems the past of least resistance in one's social new. To have any standards or principles at all for valuable ideas and practices, and to take these standards and principles seriously, implies considering the possibility that your own society doesn't get up to them, that it really doesn't get up to them, that the errors go deep, and that the current debates and factions in one society are all deeply misguided. I'll go on to argue that any independent of any specific gripes any of you may have about the society in which we find ourselves, there is every reason for each of you to accept that this society is deeply misguided and wrong on all sorts of things. And if that's right, to have standard it all, to be someone with real thoughts and values, as opposed to being a bit of ballast who lets their life be determined by the day around them. To be a real person, to care about what's true and about your life. You have to be open, prepared and ready, not expected, to adopt positions that cut very deeply against the great. And that's what this talk is about. Why and how to do that. This is the inaugural talk of a program here at the University of talks and events of different sorts on objectivism, objectivism being the philosophy of Ayn Rand. I myself am an amateur objectivist and advocate of this specific radical philosophy developed by a specific radical 20th century philosophical novelist and essay. Rand is a champion of reason and the total restriction of faith, tradition, and the like. She's a champion of rational egoism and rejects all forms of altruism or sacrifice of oneself or others. 
she endorses the traitor principle, the idea that we should deal with each other only to mutual advantage by mutual consent, rejecting all forms of coercion. And, of course, a champion of capitalism. She described herself as a radical for capitalism, rejecting the government playing any role in our lives other than the role for which it's necessary, namely protecting rights and rejecting an idea of the public good. So these are some of the radical ideas that I study and that I stand for. But I want to abstract away from these specific ideas and from any specific set of radical ideas and make a case for thinking radically in general. To be radical is to go to the root of things. The root word is for root. To go to the acid, to go to the core, and to think about alternatives to how things are. To be a radical, to propose something radical, is to, ch- to propose changing something in its fundamental direction. Changing it deep down as opposed to a superficial adjustment. As opposed to taking sides in the to and fro of day-to-day acts and forth and policy changes to try to shift direction on home. I want to make a case for thinking about issues in those terms. For thinking about not should taxes be a little higher or a little lower, but should we have them? Should there be more or fewer cops on the street, but should there be police at all? I think yes, that's kind of question. For what kinds of things should be or uh, against the law? What we need laws for? What kind of obligations we have to each other? How we should decide what we know? I want to talk about why we should take this pain and how to do it rationally as opposed to in the childish, emotionalistic, and non-productive, and I think in the end, not really radical. Matter that goes with the stereotype of the radical with his fist in the air. Whether it's in his t-shirt of Che Guevara or with his confederate flag flying. First, the case for radicals. Why be a radical? Why challenge the status quo? Why look into the deepest standards and cost of the things that expect and might find that the answers that everyone else holds and the factions into which everyone else falls are wrong? Well, imagine being transported to a random time and place from the past or the present but someplace different from where you live now, different from the society and culture in which you grew up. Maybe it's ancient Athens, mean China, 14th century France, the Mayan Empire at its height, present-day North Korea, the anti-Vellum American South, even to Austin in 1960. Assuming that where you land is remote enough from present-day America, no matter where you stand on today's political or culture war issues, you'd likely be appalled by a lot of what you encountered, by a lot of what's taken for granted, by a lot about how people treat one another, by a lot about what's regarded as just, what's taken as within and beyond the bounds of polite conversation. Does this seem right? For all the locations I mentioned? I think it does for almost any. And if it doesn't, probably you think a lot of how was it now was it all in or in. You can play cultural relativist. We could say that things that might appall you, slavery, persecution of ethnic minorities, slavery, flagrant sexism, literal human sacrifice and the like, are just not to your taste. Sure, you'd be appalled by them, but that's a factor of who you are and what makes you tick. There's nothing really wrong with them. 
But you all know that that kind of response is just cowardice. It's something one says, but it amounts to saying there's nothing really good or bad about any, about any society, that there's no reason to be before, for, or against any. It amounts to surrendering judgment as such. Moreover, if you're a decent human being, you know that you'd want to be on the side of the people in whatever period, in whatever place, who are fighting against the things you regard the ball again for the changes that would make it more like society you're used to. For the abolition of slavery, for example. Or the abolition of human sacrifice. If you were in a society that had that. Or the recognition that wounded our people too. With core rights, and so on and so forth. Yeah, Again, if you're the third of person who didn't feel that way, if you're the third of person is being transferred into the antebellum South or into North Korea today, would think I just want to go with the flow. I wouldn't want to find the people who want to change this or push back on this. But that itself is very appetite with the values of the society you're in now. Maybe it's because you're the kind of person who wants that kind of society and should be working to make ours more like it. But it's not that. It's because you're nothing. It's because you don't care or think. I don't think any of you want to be like that. I think we all know that we shouldn't be like that. Now, if you know anything, to, you know, do the thought experiment. Absolutely do it. And think of a society that you know enough about to do the thought experiment. And see about the actual political division in the society you've been transported to. See the actual people who were running for governor of Texas in the 1850s. The actual policy debates that must be happening within the government in North Korea by terrified people if they disagree with the chair. The actual debates that were happening in the local politics of the Atebello, of the, sorry, the um, Jim Crook South. Even the kinds of arguments that were happening with their own lifetimes, for those of us who are old enough to remember, 30 or 40 years ago, are to do on a shorter time frame with that. If you think about the arguments that were taking place, you can imagine them. Are they all about the things that you regard as most important? As all about the things that have to be changed about that society? If you look back in American history and look to period where, from our point of view now, all of our point of view now, the salient issue is slavery. The salient thing that had to be off or changed was slavery. How much of the political focus was on that? There were some periods when most of it was, but not most of the time. And it's not always the case that people who are on the side of what you regard as change for the positive are in general on the side of change. If they understand the issue the way you did. For example, you can imagine yourself back in the earlier phase of American history when women don't have the vote. And there's a certain political faction that wants to give it to them, but that sees this crusade as very much tied up with um, prohibiting the use of alcohol, starting 
more eugenics programs? Were these, was this the right side at that time or the wrong side? Or are, was something wrong with the terms in which the debate was being trained and thought of? Was it the case that the whole political landscape was wrong? On any given issue, and there were many of them were worked, you could pick which side was right and wrong. But, but the society didn't capture died along the right fault line. There wasn't a faction that was actually wanting by your lights to improve it, and another one resisting it. But rather, issue by issue, it was different. Maybe you can choose on balance. Suffrage was more important than, say, getting off a whole legal that that was your view. But, but there's something odd about the whole way it's being thought of. Maybe there isn't in that society, in most societies, at most times in the past. A group to a life. Think about how the divisions in a society usually work. There are almost always two dominant factions. In America, because of our first past the electoral system, we have what amounts to a two-party political system. But even in countries that don't, right, think about parliamentary system. One pretty much thinks that there are right-wing parties and left-wing parties. Right and left mean different things in different countries. Whether there's a consistent meaning going throughout them is a good question. But there's those two, and they're seen as a line with the There's between the extreme right and the moderate right, and the extreme left and the moderate left. It's seen as falling into two factions, basically, with that. But how often are those two factions divided over what's really matters? What's really important? How often is one of them right, fighting for the good, and the other opposing it? The nearer we are to that, if we're looking at a society the closer it is to our own, wrapped up as we usually are in the concerns about our own power, the easier it is to think, yeah, they're basically, if I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat or I'm a left or a right-winger, and if I go to Canada, it's pretty much the same thing, and the Canadian left or left or right-winger or against when I won. But if you go to the left or right revolutionary France, in China today, to the political factions in Iran, well, most fighting at most time, it has been about which of two factions dominates. The Normans are the faction. Whether a certain parcel of land is run by one group or another, which law assembly has control over this new another kind of example. What would it take a version of this same kind of example that I like better than the happen to have the hull is blue and red? Whether the crypts or the bloods are in control of a certain law. They were rival gangs. Well, one it red as a template, the other blue as a template. But if you're thinking about a neighborhood riven by gang warfare, surely the alternative is not ruled by this gang or ruled by that gang. Although ruled by gangs versus rule of law. Surely the alternative isn't who is king with condolences to any British friend who care about that on this day. But whether we're ruled by a king and more generally how we're ruled. And yet, in most times, that's not the issue. Yeah. Is that right for any 
other society will look at, given our present values. Isn't there every reason to assume that it's how we would look at our own society now if we came to it from without rather than having it grew up within it? Is there any reason to think that the current factions happen to be right about everything? I think in general there's a reason to assume that they're wrong. Not wrong in any particular way. Not that you know the right answer. But there's no reason to think that right now, all times in human history, and right here of all places in the world, he came to learn about what most about. What, what from a distance we would see as most important. What if we could abstract away from the situation we see as most important. What if we had a deeper understanding of the outfit? The most people come to their views that what the people around them think. Surely that part of the story and how each of us came to the view to hold on. Is it how we were raised? Because of what factions there are in our society, because of where we get our information and what arguments those people are making. But, but looking at other people like that from the outside, we think they're most likely missing the plot. They're most likely not aware of the dominant things that are wrong with the world they're living in. And what would fix them? They're most likely complicit in all kinds of injustices that they don't even realize. And I'll fight over rocks. Fighting for things that don't matter, about things that don't matter. Or do that matter, but they're on the wrong side of it. And, and they don't know. And don't count. You most likely blame Or argue about whether we should blame Whether we should flip up or take down their statues. Or recognize that they're just men of their times and they couldn't have done any about it. But whatever we think of people that have for other periods, I think we all, to the extent that we're being honest, to the extent that we care about things, want to be on the right side of the issue. We want to be the person who would have split up against the Nazi if he was in Germany, rather than the person who cowers down before them, or maybe even worse, the person who doesn't ask the question of whether we're still on around him is okay. How we can help, of why so many people just go along with it. And of course, something like Nazism couldn't just happen, or any of the other great evils, if there weren't a lot of people who let a lot slide by before the horrors. Are we those people now? I think if we're honest, you know, we don't want to be. But what does it mean not to be? What does it take? It takes thinking seriously the question of what's good and what's right. Thinking seriously of the possibilities that what we're taught about is wrong. Looking for and considering views that are outside of the mainstream and that press us and push us to challenge the things that we've taken for granted. Now, not that those views are going to be right. Some of them may be looks will be wrong. But the things that get us out of our comfort zone it requires trying to be intellectually and morally a citizen of the universe rather than a citizen of one's particular time or place. Someone who regards the particular time or place and context that one's in in the way you would regard an alien time or place that you were brought into. And not being content to have what you believe that they can care about, what you think is right and wrong, 
determined by the accident of how you were socialized. Maybe, Maybe you can't totally escape from that. Maybe you'll always have bad determination. Maybe you'll always have blind spot. But, but not be content with that to one spot. Knowing that if you can't eradicate all of them, you want to do what you can to see what's real and to look at your own time as a time, at the factions in your own society as particular factions, not necessarily as the war between right and wrong, good and evil. How, how does one do it? Learning about other timeship places, about other ideas that are outside of the mainstream, is an important part of it. Thinking about what things are being presupposed in a debate and what's wrong with them, or right, is part of it. Trying to identify the basis of your own conviction, is part of it. There's a lot more to say. But what I want to be pressing now is just the willingness to challenge. The idea that whatever is right on any issue of importance is most likely a position that's radical, that's outside of the mainstream, that cuts against the grain. That doesn't mean any particular radical position is likely to be right. Most are likely to be wrong. Maybe less likely to be right than the mainstream position. But thought that to think that if I think what everybody else thinks, if I fall into one of the two camps that everyone else is in, that's not a recipe for safety. It's a way to be pretty sure that I'm a lemming walking over plane. At least with respect to whether I'm doing what's right. And to recognize that there is no safety. One of the things that studying philosophy in general, if you do it rightly, courageously, does, if you study the history you study Greek figures and not just whoever happened to publish something in some journal last week. If you start to think, I'm taking positions on questions that some of the greatest thinkers, smartest people, most educated people in the world have taken a position on. And whatever position I take, I'm going to be disagreeing with a lot of them. How do I have the nerve? To take a stand on what is goodness, what is right, what is truth, what are the basic standards of knowledge? How can one might say whether Kant or Hume or Descartes for Yada or another is right or wrong about these things? Never. But, but there's no safe place to stand. They're taking positions on issues that you're going to have to have some position on, assume some position on, well, what's right and wrong, what matters, how you can tell what's true or false, to get on with life. But to not decide is just to go with whichever one of them happens to influence you without your noticing it. You've got to take a stand. And the only alternative is whether you do your best to figure out what's right or wrong, whether you bravely face the question that confront as a human being. Or whether you think to yourself that you don't have to. Whether you try to go along and find shelter in the crowd. Whether you try not to wrap the boat because you don't want to go to extremes. But suppose then that you decide to be bold. 
suppose that you decide to ask the question, to consider the possibility that your society is really wrong on that the divisions within your society are themselves wrong. That the right answer isn't like the Democrats, but a bit more so, where there are other things, but a bit more so. But something way out of, I don't even want to say left or right field, but if that assumes those directions are right. Or from 50,000 feet above where people are now. You can't even identify on the neural spectrum. A lot. What, what then? How does one approach radicalism rationally? If, if you think that you know something that's true, and that's right, and that cuts against a grain of your society, something that goes against its presupposition, there are real challenges. How do you know it? And what do you do about it? So I want to talk about some errors radicals make. Radicals of all strength, objectivists, Marxists, Augustinians. Some of them, I think, will turn out to be more or less merely that. Errors that are made by people who see themselves as not just within the mainstream of their culture, but challenging it. Down. Wanting a real change to it. And maybe what a better way to confront these kinds of issues on. First, taking their ideas to be obvious. Taxation is theft. How can anyone not see it? Therefore, this measure by Biden or Trump or whomever is wrong. Trans women are or aren't women. What could be more obvious than whichever of those things you think is true? And how more ridiculous and oblivious can whoever the opposite be? I'm not sure which one is the conventional wisdom in our society right now, but there are pockets of it. And I think the other great people of different races are every bit as human as one another. I think it's something we agree with all now, I hope. But, but not that long ago, it wasn't. It was a radical for old tit to hold. If you think you know something that your society doesn't, that they're wrong about, deeply misguided about, that mattered. I think you have to reflect on why. How is it? How do you know this and they don't? And I think part of the answer is always courage. Which is what makes it seem like the issue is obvious and they're just about looking at it. And sometimes that's the whole of the answer. Frederick Douglass in the famous oration on what to a slave of the fourth is the fourth of July heaps scorn upon the slave holders at the Arctic. And responds to people who says, you know, people accuse me of just mockery. They want me to argue? What do they want me to argue? But I'm an even being Is it an obvious? And sometimes it is. Sometimes the whole of the issue is cowardice and prejudice. But, but then, I think one has to think a lot about what is the nature of cowardice and prejudice? How, what is the reality of it in people's psychology such that so many people happen about the same thing at the same time? And what would it take to dissuade them? And in what way is it true? Or what course? How are you sure that that's really what's the 
How can you count? I think there are ways to count. For each issue, it's going to be different, but it's something to think about. Or, or is it something that, that you've come to understand something that other people don't? How, how do you know it? What's your past to understanding? And what is it that other people seem not to get about? Well, what would it take for them to get it? If it's really deep, so much of our lives are built around our deepest belief. So much of how we live, how we understand other issues, a lot else has to change for a deep idea to shift. For you to come to think that God does or doesn't exist, having built the opposite before. Look down. What does that kind of a change look like? What else has to come to be understood as you come to understand this thing, this truth that you know can pull off Often, if you're young, it's easier. It's easier to adopt something radical, different, way out of the blue, or something that goes against the grain so much. Because you have less baggage built up. And so maybe that's an advantage in seeing things that your elders don't. But there's lots of things your elders see that you don't. Lots of the details of having to deal with life, of having to get through the affairs of day-to-day, of having to manage different matters. And they have particular ways of dealing with these things, of understanding things, of understanding particular details of life that are tied up with and embedded with their way of understanding the world, their view on this issue, which may be you see or almost taken. Do you have answers to those things? If you're young, you may have fewer things to dislodge, but you don't have built up a whole way of understanding the details and complexity of the world and human interaction about other people have, older people have, connected to their possibly false and deeply false beliefs about the world. It takes time to figure out how to solve and understand the problems that other people think they have solutions to, which solutions are predicated on frames in terms of related to their false belief. It's easy as a radical, particularly as a young radical, now, not to have that context, to hold the idea as something obvious that everybody should see and adopt, and disconnected from all the many difficult questions that, that come up as one tries to adopt it and implement it, particularly in a world where one's used to behaving in different ways. Now, I'm talking very, very abstractly now because I'm trying to talk at a level of abstraction that above, that's abstracting away from a particular radical point of view. But let me come down one level. I, I think it's wrong to deal with people like coercion. And if I know that, and if I know that values can only ever be achieved by dealing with people to mutual benefit and mutual consent by trade, I think that means that government should never do anything other than to protect people's rights to their life, liberty, and property. And in particular, that it should be totally separated from the economy in the way that um, some, at least, of the founders thought that it should be separated entirely from editor religion. What, what do you do then? If you have segregation on a large segment of the economy, it may be caused by past laws mandating racial seg- racist racial segregation. Maybe not, maybe just because there are a lot of bigots around. Right. 
it follows from what I was saying that you can't pass a law to ban that designation, ban, ban that discrimination. Can that be right? What would happen if we didn't have such laws? Then what happened if we didn't have laws banning child labor? At setting working conditions. Maybe we should have such laws, and there's a way to understand that it's compatible with my principle, in a way that I'm not seeing, and it'll fix up. Or maybe we don't need such laws. I think that we don't. But it takes a lot of thinking, a lot of knowing about history, a lot of considering the cases. Think about why do those laws seem to be necessary to so many people? What would happen if we really didn't have them? What, what does the principle imply about what would be the effect of these kind of laws if they're really immoral, unjust, and bad? And then are those effects real? It did the attempt to ban segregation by now backfired. Is it perhaps the cause of the continuing racism we see in the future today? How can you tell? I'm not, I'm not going to try to answer those questions now. I'm giving them as a sample of the kinds of questions that, that I'm left to confront and contend with. We're going to think radically. We're going to think in a way that doesn't hew to the well-trucking course. Likewise, if you think that everything about our current world, but so much of it, is due to the exploitation of capitalists and the institution of private property, which is something more and all exploited it. A view I don't hold. Who are just going to be. But then, but then what, what do you say to all the senior failures found in structures? It, maybe those prove that you're wrong. I think in the end they do. But, but maybe not. You have to think about the question. How can I know if I'm right or wrong here? How can I relate this thing that I think is a deep insight and how things should be, uh, how, how the world I'm living in is different from it? How, how can I relate that to all the things that seem to other people to be acceptable objections? All the things that seem to other people we the statute what was right. There were a couple of positives to what might be right, but they're way away from rounding it. Radicals need to understand how unobvious their ideas are. Even in a sense they're obvious. Even if there's a way in which some kind of cowardice is a big part of their not being more generally accepted. It's always an obvious what they would mean in practice. How they would be used to solve all our problems. And one thing that you do these, I think, often is a kind of humility about them. A recognition that there are some things you don't know. Or can't know, are trying to know more about them. But it being very clear to yourself, to like, what is it that I'm convinced of? And how, how do I know it? And, and what are the other questions that are open in my mind? That I don't know the interest. That I think somebody working out and applying this idea at some point in our process would have us all. And maybe it take a lot of people, a lot of work, a lot of research discipline to some. Or armies of researchers in some cases. I think something must be wrong about this history, but I don't, I don't know what. This brings me to a, a, a second point about error made by radicals and advice to counter it. It's easy to think that knowing something is wrong 
or that knowing a certain source is unreliable. Gives you a kind of direct line to the truth. Makes it easy for you to find out what's right. Knowledge in general is hard want. Knowledge about many things takes a lot of work. Knowledge about anything takes work. I have a lot of on that thing. But, but like, for example, knowing exactly the causes of what's happening in any economy at a given time. Understanding even the facts of history and whether certain things really happened or they're just rumors or stories or misconstruals. Hey, take the work. Someone has to do it. Collect the primary sources, check up on things, make sure that the impression um, I have from the set of sources that you have is represented here rather than skewed it in a work. The way that work is being done in any given society at any given time is shaped by the priorities, ideas, values of that society. There was a time, for example, when history departments, at least many of them, were run by Marxists. And history was done in a certain very Marxist influence way. You might think economics departments are run by people who are um, neoliberals and have an agenda of defending and apologizing for capitalism. And then history departments are run by people with an opposite agenda and so forth. And therefore you might be skeptical of whether these people are doing this kind of work, or the work that we need to have done to know what their discipline is telling us. Honors about profit, right, in a way that gets us to the truth. But you might be skeptical of the media, thinking that you know some of the biases that are held throughout our culture, or in the portions of our culture that people come from when they go into the media. I think you might have reason to be skeptical. Suppose you're due, and you're right. Suppose you're skeptical of climate science, for example, and you have reasons to be, or of any other branch of science. You might have real reasons for taking the conclusions of the field with a very heavy grain of salt, maybe even in some cases for rejecting them entirely. But those reasons don't give you insight into what's true on the matters that require the work of researchers in that field to know. It takes work to figure out what's true in the past. If it turns out that all the historians are liars and unreliable, then the right answer to come to about what happened in the past is not whatever my mommy told me or the first thing I heard or what my kindergarten teacher who was somehow immune from those influences taught me, but I don't know. And more likely, the conclusion it's reasonable to draw isn't that the whole field is totally wrong and corrupt from top to bottom and there's nothing you can know about it. But that rather, it has to be consumed with caution in an understanding of what the biases may or might not be, of what kinds of findings are more or less reliable than others, for whatever the field is. But one has to be careful that one's really doing that. One's doing that with a seriousness about getting at what's true and not a kind of artificially raised standard for the people you're likely to disagree with and positions you're likely to disagree with, and then easily believing whatever is said by the people who are opposite to that, who seem to be on your team. Somehow everybody in the news media, for example, uh, is unreliable, can't be trusted. But what my favorite demagogue tells me is true just because he says it. And what the people who are aligned with him today say, if possible, maybe even beyond doubt, 
but what the people who were aligned with him yesterday and are today said, well, they're speaking from their bias. It's easy to fall into versions of that kind of thinking, particularly as one aligns oneself with a faction. But knowledge takes work. And part of what may be rational radical is about is recognizing how much work is required to know different things. Recognizing that when you're breaking with the mainstream sources of knowledge and opinion in your society, there is no easy alternative. There's no shortcut to the truth outside of the work that it takes to get to the truth. And if you have reason for mistrusting all or part of what the people tasked with that job say, you're going to have to face up to the fact there are going to be a lot of things that you can't know. Or it'll take you a lot of work to find out. And just finding someone else doesn't like them too for the same reason. It doesn't assure you that whatever that person says on history or physics or private or whatever else it might be is true. It's easy if you're a radical, especially if you're young, to not take seriously how unobvious one's positions are. That was the first thing. To not think seriously how difficult it is to know things, things that might be germane to your position. And also, a new point now, to not be realistic about how, at what pace and in what ways, change in the direction of the world you prefer can occur. Could it be immediate and sudden? Could there be a large political coalition for it in the near term? Where would such a political coalition come from? If the position is really so radical outside of the current mainstream, where are all the people going to come out of the woodwork for to fight for it? Or maybe there's a way to convince a lot of people of it soon? Could it be that one of the major political ideological factions in the current culture is essentially on the side of the change you want? Maybe. If so, it cuts less against the grain of the culture than you're thinking. But you might be in a period where there is a large faction advocating for change towards the good. More often than not, I think one's not in such a period. How do you know whether you are? I don't mean that to say you can't know, but what makes you convinced? Think about it in the case of whatever change you want. Is the only principle or force in the society against the kind of change you want, whatever the opposite faction is? I think more often one will find, as in the case of the warring gag, that there's something to at least the grievances of each party, if not to what they're actually for. What does it look like for people, either as individuals or as large groups, to change their minds about something deep? At what pace can that happen? Overall, it's a slow process for the reasons we talked about before, when I was saying why radical ideas are unobvious, why it's hard to tell that they're true, Sometimes, and even when it is, hard to tell what it would mean to implement them. Think about early abolitionists, people who were opposed to slavery, for maybe the first time in history. Slavery had kind of faded out some forms of slavery in some countries. But the first time that I know of where you have a major sustained lasting over time and eventually successful effort to abolish slavery is starting in the 19th century, late 17th century in American England. And if you take the people who were early on what we almost all now think of as the right side of that fight, 
Jacob, how confused so many of their ideas were about how it would happen, how it could happen. Maybe if we just ban the slave trade, it'll stop. Maybe there's no way to end it other than having the whole enslaved population to all other white. Widely thought at different times by people white and black. Held on to longer by more white people than black people. But in 1780, was that an obviously wrong view? It was a lot. If you know a truth about how things should be, there ought to be ways to act on here and now, ways to make your own life better and to reshape at least parts of the world around you in the image of what you know to be right. If you can see no ways to do that, if your knowledge seems unactionable, and you tell yourself that you're being patient, and the patient seems a lot like a rationalization. What are the forms of action? What can you do? Even if it will be slow in changing the world. And of course, there are windows where surprisingly fast change is possible. I think the most obvious example in my lifetime is the change in attitude towards homosexuality in our own culture. I regard that as a change for the positive. But it's striking how fast it came. If you asked me in 1980, well, I like to be where it was too, but 1985, 1990, by 1990, certainly, I was actively thinking about politics. I was young and um, early in my life, started thinking a lot about it in the mid-90s. If you ask me which things would change faster, what would be more likely? Gay marriage be legal across the whole country or major economic reforms? Getting rid of, say, the FDA or something. I, think I probably would have thought getting rid of one of these major regulatory agencies was more likely that homosexual, homosexuality being widely enough accepted that gay marriage was not just legal, but most people think it should be legal. You think about the speed at which interracial marriage became accepted, like that if you polled people, they said it's fine. And the speed at which it happened with gay marriage, it's striking. I don't have a complete answer to why. But the point is that sometimes change can't happen quickly. Part of being rational in one's radicalism is trying, learning to spot the window of birth that happened quickly. Learning to understand what makes it possible, when it is and what it isn't, and what are the roots to it. That's something they don't have that much to say about, either for the positive or the negative cases. I can give you negative cases of quick change also. Now, most major political parties, for example, are effectively anti-international trade. Whereas, as recently as eight years ago, they're both basically for it. That's a major change for the negative. There are others. But part of being rational in one's approach to something is knowing what one has to learn and being alert to opportunities to learn it. Maybe there's some general principle to be learned about how to know when there's a tipping point, when a big change is possible, when change is possible quickly. Maybe there's not some universal principle to worry about that. You just become better at spotting those moments. I'm better at spotting them in particular cases. But part of being rational in one's radicalism is attending to the condition. One of the reasons why it's hard sometimes to see the path forward, how to make change, 
for radical. It's because it's easy for a radical to miss what's good in his culture. Part of what we're talking about in talking about radicalism is cutting deeply against the grain, grasping something right when everybody, that everyone else thinks is wrong, or something wrong that everybody else thinks is right. It's a stance that's necessarily critical and deeply critical of the culture in which you're in. But from that perspective, particularly if you come to pride yourself on your iconicism, your radicalism, your distinct from the status quo, it's easy to miss what's good. And that almost any culture, there were some good things. I think by any objective measure in our culture, there are very many they are good to be proud of. A rational radical works to see and understand the good and recognize it, understand it, and recognize it as the source of potential development in the direction we want. And I think the best example of someone like this in, in history, this is the best example I know, is Frederick Douglass and the strand in the abolitionist movement and later the 19th and 20th century civil rights movement that he represents. Someone who sees in a country that has treated him deeply, deeply unjustly a real commitment to principles that form a basis for overturning and changing that and for reforming it. A commitment that may be hypocritical in many ways, that's certainly um, inconstantly held, that's perhaps the bait in the breach more than, or seeing the breach more than the observant, but that nonetheless there were enough people who held and took seriously enough to be a basis for a program of political action, one that was ultimately successful. And I think we can see that strand in the success of the abolitionist movement and the civil rights movement. If you're aware of what's wrong, I think it's important to take time to think about what's right equally well. In two senses, two respects that you have to think about what's right. One, it's easy to be focused on something that's wrong and in fact not have a positive alternative to it at all. You're all about grievance and gripes and not about what you actually want to build. You're about tearing down and not about building up. That's a general thing that could happen. A lot of people are like that a lot of the time. But also, then once you do come to see and endorse a positive, to take that positive serious is to look for what is in accordance with it in the world around you, in the society around you. What is good if you know what's good and bad and you know what enough to that this is wrong with your society? What's the alternative to whatever? Where are there parts of that in the society you're in? Where is the good? When one lacks this, it's easy to devolve into nihilism. And many radical movements are really nihilist movements. They're movements not for any real positive alternative, but just to tear down the status quo. Or to resist some direction in which things seem to be going, but not in favor of some alternative direction or in favor of the actual status quo. I think this is frighteningly common in the world today, but it's common in most movements for change. There's a reason why it's common. Often the stimulus to thinking, the stimulus to political thought, to social thought, is noticing a problem, noticing that something's wrong. It's a lot harder to find a solution for it. It's a lot easier to run away from something than to run towards something. But in running away from one thing bad, it's very easy to run towards something else equally bad. 
indeed bad in the same way. Most revolutions were just changes of what despot was empowered. Many of them were revolutions for the worse. Think of the Iranian revolution against the Shah, 879. A lot bad about the Shah. Was it an improvement? What came after it? I think most revolutions are like this. Whether I'm right or not about that, it's certainly true that a revolution can be like this. And it's true of a violent revolution or any kind of chain over Israel. It's easy to slip from genuine grievance about something, to railing against a system, raising against a machine, without having something that one wants to build in its place. And even if one does have a positive, it's easy not to recognize the elements of that positive in the world from which you come. There's a lot to say about how movements work, revolutions are built, but I think this is an important highlight key to understanding it and to talk about war and the clarification. I want to review a few principles about radicalism that have been, in some cases, explicit in some leaflet in what I've been saying, and then close with a few solves. If our idea is really radical, there's unlikely to be a majority or sizable minority for it. Once there is, the idea is mainstream. That's okay. Some mainstream ideas are true. That's part of what's good about our culture. There are some truths that are widely accepted. But I think it's important when you're thinking about your own conviction, which of them are mainstream and which of them aren't. A lot of people fancy themselves advocates, radical, for something bold. When what they're for is something fairly conventional in nature and may be good, but may be bad. And they fancy themselves in the mainstream when they're trying to tear something down at the point of the design there. It takes a lot of reflection to recognize where one stands relative to the society that one fit. And I think understanding that with respect to particular issues is part of being an effective advocate on those things, an effective teacher, persuader, and thinker. But when I think it really is radical, it's always outside of and orthogonal to the faction in the society. It's not going to be the case that if we're really right on something that cuts against the grain of American society, then the Democrats are basically going to be forward or the Republicans against it or vice versa. It's going to be maybe on some issue at some time one party will be a little more sympathetic to it than the other, but it's going to be just sort of outside of the issues that they're concerned with. They'll both be aligned on being on the wrong side of it, or they'll both be indifferent to it. And likewise for any other major political tribal faction. And when you're thinking about what kind of issue is this that I'm thinking about, is it an issue where basically the society's right? I just want to tweak around the edge. Or is it one of these issues like what I think of the antibellum South if I just popped in there, where I'm really looking at it from the outside? I think if you're finding one of the parties essentially correct, one of the main factions essentially correct, that's a sign that it's not that kind of issue. And I raise it because I beat a lot of people who see themselves as bold, courageous, radical, favoring big change, more or less like the Democrats, and more or less like the Republicans. 
and thinking of themselves as bold, radical, deep. They might be right that some of the things the Democrats or the Republicans want are good. But it's a contradiction to think of that or to think of it as a radical position. And it's worth knowing. Is this a radical position? In which case, my sense that the Democrats or the Republicans are basically for it is probably wrong. Or is it not? Separate issue from whether it's true. But if all of your positions are conventional, with a pretty good chance that you're missing some really important truths. And they'll show you too. Rarely then, if ever, is one side or another of a sustained, quitable cultural divide right on the deep issues and wrong and the other wrong. Usually, when they have a sustained cultural divide, part of what sustains it, I think, is that each side is aware of some legitimate grievances and they're conceptualizing them incorrectly in ways that cause people to line up into two camps and to create a status quo of faction around some issue that's not the essential issue. I think that's the default state of a society. Occasionally, the issues between the parties matter and what's right. but just as often not, and not on the deepest issue. What then should one do about it? How should one live in a society if one thinks one knows some radical deep truth? I think one should reflect on how one knows it. One should be alert to new evidence about what it means, whether one's right about it, how to implement it. One should be aware that this is complex. One should really see oneself as broken with, not a part of, whatever the major political factions in one society is. But one shouldn't take that to mean that one should never support one of them in a particular concrete issue. One has to think about what would it mean, what would be the steps by which change could come in the direction you want. Are there possible partial alignments? If you understand some truth about what's going on with your society, what's right or wrong about it, that you don't think is generally understood, how is that truth playing out in the world now? What is being caused by the problems you see in the world? What is being caused by people trying or groping towards a solution for it? What is your take on what's going on in history now? That's part of what it takes time and experience to develop. That even grasping a truth like that slavery is wrong won't give you a sense of You need some lived experience. You, know, you need to live your life over time. I don't mean that this very sense that it's used so much today about a particular kind of just observing the world and your ideas play out over time to reach that end of the But one needs to reach it to have any kind of program or view of what to do in the world. And then one has to think about what kind of interventions are possible. What are the right choices here and now? Consistence both with patience but with recognizing that real knowledge must always be actionable. It's 